Hey everybody, this is Sierra Hull and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bluegrass Jam Along. This is a really special episode. This is episode 250 of the podcast, which is sort of unbelievable given we've only been going just under two years, but it's really exciting and I have a very special guest who, as I'm sure you heard from the intro, uh, is somebody that you all know and I'm sure love. So that's going to be really cool. I'll get to that just in a sec. A um, couple of things. If you're listening on Spotify, you're probably wondering how on earth this is the 250th episode and that is because there's all sorts of stuff over on the other platforms that you're missing because Spotify won't host any of the Jamalong tracks. So if you're listening on Spotify, come and find us other places too and see what else there is. Um yeah, just thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to all my guests. Thanks to everybody who's listened, everybody who's been in touch. Um, it's been fun doing these first 250 episodes, but I'm only just getting going and there's going to be an awful lot more to come. So I'm looking forward to the next 250. Um, get in touch. Tell me. Like, you know, I've been doing all these episodes and people are still listening, so I'm presuming I'm doing things right, but I would love to hear from people. Um, drop me an email. It's just matt at bluegrassjamalong.com or go to the website or find me on social or tell me. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Um Tell me what you have for breakfast. It's just nice to hear from people. Uh, and finally, if you've enjoyed these episodes, uh, please do tell your friends, tell your picking buddies, tell whoever you know who loves bluegrass. Uh, it would be a huge help and you'd be doing me a favour. Brilliant. Thank you. Here is the interview with Sierra Hull. My guest on the podcast this week doesn't really need an introduction, so all I'm going to do is read out something that Wes Corbett said about her when I interviewed him recently. Wes said, I feel completely confident saying that Sierra is one of the best musicians of my generation, without a doubt. She's incredible. My guest is Sierra Hull. Sierra, thanks for doing this. Well, that's really nice. <laughs> Wes is a good buddy, and uh, the feeling is mutual, man. He's a great musician, but hey, great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, I saw something you put on Instagram the other day about how 2022 has been pretty much the busiest year of your life. Loads of gigs, loads yeah. of travel. Um, after a couple of years of not much going on, and I sort of love that because the last album you released was all about the passage of time and lots of references to slowing down and sort of stepping out and stepping off. And, and I wonder if that sort of going from that to a point where the entire world stopped for all of us and then coming back into a busy year, that must have been some trip. Definitely a trip. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, all I've ever wanted to do in life is, is play music and, and, you know, play shows and travel and make records. And, you know, with that comes a lot of, you know, kind of a busy, hectic lifestyle. You sort of have to be all in, you know, I think, um, to, to really do this. And so I'm somebody that I love it so much that I can become a bit of a workaholic even, you know, if you will, where I'm just like, not only am I touring all the time, but when I'm home, I'm constantly working on other stuff. So um, to go from sort of putting out my 25 trips album at the beginning of 2020 and looking at this year that was going to be full steam ahead you know with with traveling and promotion of that record and to have it go from that to just like like the whole world you know we all just kind of found ourselves at home not really knowing what to do with ourselves for a minute there it was quite the adjustment for a second but really was a beautiful thing I mean for me it's the most I had gotten to really be home 
in my adulthood. Mm. And even being in my home state, you know, I grew up in Tennessee. I live in Nashville now, but I grew up a couple hours away out in the country. And, you know, it's an interesting thing to kind of be in one primary location like that for even a full summer because I I hadn't had that since I was a kid. So it was a real kind of, um, you know, amongst all the, the sort of crazy, horrible things that were happening in the world at the time was also kind of a beautiful thing you know if there was a silver lining was getting to experience that um so i'm glad that i had that i think now coming in like fast forward to 2022 yeah probably the busiest year i've ever had so it was kind of like these kind of crazy extremes but um but both amazing in their own way so i think for me it's about trying to figure out how to to get that perfect balance because um being able to be home like that, I, you know, it, it showed me that, okay, actually I am a little more cut out for even that than I would have thought as well. There's a lot of really wonderful things. I was able to be home and write songs and, and kind of mm. get in a different kind of creative space than, than you're kind of able to when you're just going full steam ahead traveling all the time. So I very much sort of look forward to some point in the future getting back to another sort of quiet season where I have a little bit more time at home. But I think that the opportunities have just been all things that have come along that I really wanted to do. So, you know, it was kind of an easy yes to a lot of these things, even though it turned out to be a a really jam-packed year. And it's funny, you sort of talk about kind of being a workaholic, and I obviously don't know you, but the last time I saw you play was at Transatlantic Sessions here back in 2020, just before the world went sort of crazy. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And normally... The guest artists at Transatlantic Session sit on a sofa at the back, get up, do a few songs, sing on each other's songs. You sat right up front with Russ Barenberg, played on every tune, <laughs> sang on everything. And it's like, it was just great to see because you're obviously there. Well, if I'm here, I'm, I'm going to fully take part in this. Yeah, well, gonna... they were so welcoming, you know. They'd be like, hey, you want to play on this? Want to play on this? And of course, I love, you know, there's such incredible musicians that are part mm. of that tour. And for me, it was just amazing getting to sit beside you know, that cast of folks every night and, you know, all the guests were so great as well, but just the kind of core band too were just incredible. So, um, yeah, that's that's a trip I won't soon forget. You know, it was really fun. Yeah, it's one of the sort of musical highlights of the year over here and the sort of the year or two we didn't get to do it. It was, you know, you really miss it. It's a, it's a glorious thing. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky to get to be, be part. And you've done, like, this sort of last busy year, has been a lot of collaboration, so rather than putting your own stuff out, it's been an awful lot of playing on other people's records, obviously a lot of playing with Baylor, but also, I mean, sort of back at the start of the pandemic, the Sturgill Simpson record, and you've, you know, you've played with Wares and Corey Wong, there's been a lot, a lot of other people's music. And is that, um, must be quite nice in a way, if you felt the pressure before to sit back and let it just play and be part of the band. Yeah, I mean, collaboration is something that I've always been interested in, always wanted to be part of what I'm doing, because I feel like every time I can kind of take a step outside of my own thing and go experience making music kind of through a different lens, because every, like, if I go play with Vela, it's a different experience than if I go play with with Corey Wong, um, musically speaking, and also just being able to be um, kind of a collaborator more on someone else's music is a different experience than being both the leader playing your own music. So for me, I've always been, you know, kind of an artist first. I've always, you know, not because I just felt like, oh, I, you know, need to make my own music, but I've always had that real desire to, you know, it's since a, a young age, I've always sort of just had my own thing going on as well. And so that's really important to me. And that's always kind of the core of the thing I'm working on. But I always feel like when I can sort of leave that for a moment 
and go and do something else, then I can come back to my own thing with all the things I've learned from stepping outside my own little bubble. And um, I don't know, I think that the inspiration that I can get from those kind of collaborations um, is kind of a healthy thing to bring back as well, because then I get excited to come back and do my own thing and go, cool, what have I learned by doing all this? You know, what can I bring to my own experience now? And there's a couple of projects in there that presumably you learned quite a lot from. I mean, I'm sure you learned from every project, but playing with Corey's band and having to plug in and sort of deal with the horn section and the mandolin must take on a slightly different role than it does in a, you know, a more acoustic band. It definitely does. I mean, you know, in the the Bela touring, it's all microphones. Of course, I'm, you know, we're speaking here in London tonight, playing with Justin, my husband tonight, and like we're playing just on microphones as well not plugging in or anything so it's like a real listening kind of show mm. my own show is somewhere in the middle you know i have drums now and and kind of am doing a, a combo of both um microphone and di but then with the quarry tour i was using a mic as well but it's it's it has to be more di than anything because it's just a loud stage there's a five-piece horn section yeah. there's you know keys there's electric guitar amps on stage electric bass amp on stage and then drums so there's a lot going on and not necessarily your typical setting for the little acoustic mandolin. Um, but it's so much fun. It's fun to kind of explore how even that element of it can be, it can just be a different thing. You know, it's like you kind of, um, you get in a different kind of zone when you have to change the thing that you're always doing. You know, it kind of shakes up things in a good way to where you can kind of go, okay, well, huh. I have a mandolin amp on stage all of a sudden and how does that feel different and what is that like to you know try to dial in a certain sound that really feels cohesive with this band where the mandolin can be heard but you know not completely lose the thing that makes it what it is you know so yeah it's uh it's been fun to kind of toggle back and forth plus I was playing um some electric mandolin on the quarry tour as well and you know just sometimes leaning into that just getting to be loud and it be really easy in in that regard is is fun too um yeah and and presumably the the baylor tour playing so much like purely instrumental music you know it's exactly uh, it's a a lot of music and it's a lot of music with no vocals exactly that you know you you obviously always played a mix of instrumental music and vocal music and singing is a big part of what you do yeah so that must be a kind of a, a fascinating experience yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, a Bela fan for so long, and, and as a composer, he just writes these really incredible tunes, and this record that we'd been kind of touring behind for him, the Bluegrass Heart album, it has so many great tunes on it, and it's, you know, a lot of those songs are, you know, five, six minutes on average, <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of kind of complex arrangements that... that um, both have really detailed things that you kind of need to nail every night, similar to, say, a lyric being the same every night. But then there's also a lot of room for improvising. And so it really is kind of like riding a wave with that band, just depending on, you know, what's go- what inspiration's kind of piping through the band on a given night. It's always different. And Bela is just, you know, an insane um, improviser. So to get to really kind of get in that instrumental zone is fun for me because, you know, I I definitely do a lot of instrumental music in my show as well, but I also am a singer-songwriter, so I love that part of things. So to be able to kind of... And we do some vocal music in the Bela band as well. Justin and I sing a little bit and Brian Sutton uh, as well. But, um, yeah, it is a different kind of hat to put on to be like, okay really going into trying to, you know, get my instrumental chops in a certain place. So I always leave that, you know, tour or a a tour with Bela and that incredible band feeling 
like I've just had a great workout, you know, a great instrumental workout where, you know, I come back to my thing and it's kind of like, whoa, okay, now let's get back to some of the other stuff, you know? So that's kind of yeah. what I mean about being able to toggle between these things has been really inspiring for me because it feels like I've been able to explore a lot of the different things that I'm interested in in different capacities this past year. And that, presumably, like, doing the Baylor gigs after... I don't know, a year, two years of being at home and like playing, obviously, but probably not playing for two hours a night and that amount. You know, this sort of stamina of just physically being able to play an instrument for yeah. But that long must have taken a while to come back for some people. Well, yeah, and the Baylor gig's kind of a whole different level of that than anything I've done just because, you know, that music is quite complex. So, I mean, now we really know the music pretty much inside and out but you know early early on there's a lot of rehearsing and a lot of time spent working on the music so that we you know can really know it and really own it and play it comfortably you know like not that we couldn't have sort of you know pushed our way through a set and made it through you know by the skin of our teeth kind of thing but you don't want that music to feel that way you want to really feel like you can Mm. get inside of it you know and you can only really get inside music when you really have put in the time to really know it you know especially when it's music that you're trying to improvise on like that and you want to really just be able to relax into that and and not be sort of playing it stressed stressed out if that makes sense um so yeah i mean just like the rehearsing and then you know usually we'll do pretty long sound checks and then we play about two and a half hours every night so you're looking at you know days where we're definitely playing six or seven hours or more sometimes with a lot of you know, you're out on a three-week tour and you do that every day. It's it's a sure way to, to build some muscle <laughs> as yeah. a musician. And is, is it, maybe it might be too early to sort of know yet, but have you, are there any thoughts on what you've taken from the past year to... Presumably, presumably you're working on new material. You had the, the sort of the Bluegrass Concerto for Fresh Grass, which was, you know, that kind of a, a recent thing. Um, yeah. Is that sort of the start of a new project or was that a one-off? That was a one-off, but I've actually already, before that, been working on some new music and um, was in the studio just before we left on this tour, and when I go home, I'm, I'm right back to it, so just trying to squeeze in as much as I can. That, that's been the tricky thing about doing as much touring as I've done in the last year. I would have loved to have been able to have more music of my own to put out, but there's not really been very much time off the road to actually you know get things done, and so a lot of the things that I've kind of been slowly squeezing in sessions here and there and working on things, um, you know, finally starting to get closer to having some things to share. Now, when and how it'll come out will be a whole other story, you know, so I'm not sure the timeline of all that just yet, but definitely getting closer to having some some things done, which is exciting. Yeah, and uh, and you've got a band now, you were saying, as you were saying earlier. Are you sort of writing with the band in mind? Because obviously, like the last couple of albums, one felt, relatively sparse and mandolin centered one much more layered and much more sort of intricate stuff going on are you sort of writing now with the idea of those musicians yeah it's a little bit of a combo so like some of the things definitely like the fresh grass piece that you mentioned that was really the first time that i had written something specifically for a group of musicians to play like thinking about this is the the instrumentation usually when i'm making a record i sort of just you know Every now and then you'll write a song and you'll know just immediately from the way it makes you feel or whatever, like this needs to have this instrument, this would be cool. Um, But I guess typically I'll just write songs and then depending on what the song kind of wants, I try to not put myself in a box these days. Like if we want to have drums on it, cool. If it needs to be something more bluegrass, cool. If it's going to be something that's more layered or just a 
guitar and vocal, you know, like whatever it might be. I try to be open-minded to that um, and just kind of let the songs steer the way. But yeah, it was kind of fun having a a set project and a goal of writing around the the fresh grass piece to kind of go, okay, cool. I'm going to write this three movement, you know, concerto, so to speak. um, And write it with these musicians in mind, which are the musicians I've been touring with. So that's been um, upright bass, drums, fiddle, acoustic guitar, and me on mandolin. And how sort of composed did it end up being as a piece? Is there sort of space in that where there's improvisation going on as well, or is it a... A little bit, yeah. I really wanted it to be a combination of things. So I wanted to be able to sort of flex my... um, I say not flex, to to be able to... um, you know, strengthen, kind of give myself a, a challenge um, in the sort of compositional side of things where I was really, you know, not just kind of going, here's a tune, let's play a tune. I wanted to be able to kind of go, well, what would happen if I actually wrote specific lines for the fiddle or the guitar to play while I'm playing this other counter line kind of thing. So, but I also wanted it to have that bluegrass spirit, which, you know, only improvising can sometimes bring. And so I wanted there to be moments of both things. So I feel like it kind of wound up being, um, you know, a pretty balanced combination of of the two things where a lot of it, yes, is very scripted and it was written to be played a a certain way. But then there's moments where everybody kind of gets to have their you know, voice be heard in, in the improvisational sections of the pieces, and that'll be different every time we play it, which is kind of fun. Is that something you think will be on the next record? Mm-hmm. We just recorded it. So we oh, recorded cool. it a couple of weeks ago, um, and, I, you know, I don't know yet. I, right now I'm just recording a bunch of music, and so mm. part of me thinks it could be cool to have it be part of whatever the project is and then part of me thinks but if not then I'll have it and I'll just release it separately at some point that's the joy of the way things can be done now is that you uh, I remember the first time I bought a CD and put it in and it came up and it told me exactly how long the album was and I was like well and you start thinking about length of record as being valued for money it's which is weird it's stupid like there's some beautiful short albums out there like Nick Jake's Pink Moon or whatever but yeah you know or please please me by the Beatles sure so when you take stuff and stream it again you start like one of the, the Hawk Tales recent records not that long but it's beautiful and it's perfect and it doesn't need anything more and it doesn't need anything less but yeah. you know there's something lovely about being able to release stuff that suits the release rather than a totally. format totally yeah and I mean it's interesting because part of me thinks it could be fun to sort of spread throughout a project because it's sort of like these you know like a having a movement one throughout you know it, in a way it sort of could represent me maybe more than anything I've released before if you think about kind of putting some of my more singer-songwriter things in a project that flows into this other sort of more instrumental driven thing Um, but at the same time you know they were kind of written to be heard together but they Mm -hmm. work they work separately as well you know so I think uh, that's kind of the beauty of just kind of recording right now and sort of seeing what happens once I sort of get to the end of the recording process and then can kind of decide how how exactly the best way to present it all will be. And I guess that's the cool thing about it is that they work together and they also work separately. Then when it comes to a live context, you can decide like what the venue, like you say, tonight's quite a listening kind of venue. Some venues exactly. slightly less so. Exactly, yeah. And I think that um, like we ended up playing the third movement um, because when I did the Fresh Grass piece, we were in the middle of a tour 
And that was like the second or third thing we did. It was really early in the tour. So we'd kind of been working on this piece leading up to it, played it. And then it was kind of like, ah, okay, well, that we did that. And then we're like, but man, you know, that was a lot of work, like working on all that. Let's play, let's play it again. So there was a couple shows where we played all three, but you know, if the space, like you said, kind of lent it, but then even a couple festivals where we played the third movement, which has, you know, a little bit, it's a little bit more upbeat anyway. So, uh, and it was fun in some ways that seemed to be like the highlight of the set or the thing people were most excited about. So I was like, well, okay, this is fun. And that's interesting, that, that sort of word upbeat, because I heard you speak recently on, it might have been the Fretboard Journal podcast, I think, and you talked about kind of wanting the new material to be a bit more hopeful and a bit more, because the last couple of records have been, it's like maybe introspective is the wrong word, I'm not sure, but there's been a certain sort of self-analysis and a kind of quite a quite an inner journey to them, which yeah. is what makes them great in many ways. You know, <laughs> I tend to go there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I don't know, and and I think this this new project definitely will have moments of that too, because I think that's just inevitably how I write songs and mm. and a big part of who I am as an artist. But you know, when you think about, um, especially in bluegrass music, part of the thing that I think we all love so much about it is how joyful it is. It's a fun style of music, and part of me feels like I'm in some ways trying to tap back into that part of my roots you know a little bit more and you know in my own way not necessarily that it has to be a bluegrass thing to do that but just kind of thinking about you know how if I were to play this music on a stage at a festival how would I feel doing that Mm. you know there is a a difference in you know the introspective stuff like certain rooms it it really works and it's kind of the you know perfect spot to do it but then sometimes you just want to show up at a festival and play a bunch of music that makes people feel good too and that's that's a good time to play you know so I think yeah I'm, I'm I've been kind of thinking and writing a little bit more with that in mind for maybe the first time you know usually I'm just kind of writing whatever comes out comes out that was one of the joyous things about transatlantic sessions actually thinking back on it is you think you did I think you sang lullaby um on your own and then you did Weighted Mind with the sort of the rhythm section, yeah, like a real right. sort of, you know, yeah. took it there, and it, yeah. it was great. Yeah, it's so fun. Just you know that, and that's the thing. Even, even sometimes songs that are kind of introspective in in a certain context of an album can have a life of their own life, you know. And that's the great thing about you know, if a song is yours and you write it, then you can always make it anything you want. Doesn't mean that that has to be the one life it has. You know, you can take something that was recorded a certain way and turn it on its head if you want yeah and I think that's the fascinating thing of listening to people's music and knowing really that a record is a snapshot of how I talked to um, Bob Minner about the Norman Blake tribute record that he made and he said Norman didn't really have an opinion on how songs went he didn't go this is how it goes he went this is how it goes today totally and like the next day might have been different and sure. that's, that's part of the exciting thing about going to see live music is like hopefully you're going to get something else absolutely and, and something more and yeah you know, it keeps it interesting totally and I think for me it's like I love I love kind of all those things in music so you know being able to kind of go I think there's something really exciting about having moments in a show or in a song or in a, a piece of instrumental music that you're like we know when it gets to this part every night we're going to land all together we're going to all play that line together or you're going to play your part that you know my counter line works against and it's going to feel really good because we have this thing that's worked up and it's meant to it's meant to hit every time in that spot but um but I think if if everything I did was 
was that and there wasn't room for things to kind of have new life you know breathed into it from night to night um I, I think i would get bored after a while i really do so i think that's it's part of why i love the spirit of improvisation and music and being able to to kind of ideally have a combination of both things happening and that's i think that's the thing isn't it is um live music always feels like an exercise in marshalling energy and you can't just bring a certain energy and deliver it to a crowd they might not want it or they might be in a different place or they might not respond immediately or you can't you have to take people with you it's true yeah because i mean some crowds you know will be quieter than others you have kind of that um there's energy if you're playing to a standing crowd you know or you're playing to a festival crowd there's a different energy if you're playing at two in the afternoon versus nine at night and I think being able to have some flexibility in, in what you're doing is a good thing and definitely something that I've thought a lot more about in recent years you know just thinking about how that's okay you don't have to be you know um, you can still honor your artistry and do the thing you do it just doesn't mean that you always have to do you know all the things in one place all the time you Mm. know sometimes it's like no today i'm gonna lean more into this thing because this is the right vibe for this moment and kind of i think some of that just means you kind of have to check your ego at the door and go well you know i'm playing music because yes i want to have a good time and i want to share what i've got to share but at the same time i'm here because these people are here you know and so and just kind of thinking about you know what do i believe that they came to experience today and how can i try to sort of honor that um while still being true to what i'm you know what i have to say and what i have to offer and you know so i'm just trying to be i guess more uh well-rounded as an artist and kind of trying trying anyway to sort of think about things like that where i can go cool i can still have the introspective stuff and when i'm in a a room like tonight it's probably going to be a perfect example of this this beautiful space where I know people are really going to be listening. Um, and we'll do some fun, upbeat bluegrass stuff too, but you know that the really quiet moments are really going to be heard. And that's great. You know, you can kind of have those moments in your set, but then, you know, sometimes those can get lost, you know, in other settings. And it's easier to just kind of go, you know, what's going to keep us all pumped <laughs> in the moment, you know? Yeah, and I've seen some remarkable things where people have in pretty big rooms just walked out in front of the mics and gone right we're going to do this now and you're going to have to listen or you're yeah, not going to hear it totally and just the, i think that's what makes live music just a beautiful and this is all probably entirely biased by two years of not having any live music but just that connection and the, the an actual human being standing on a stage and communicating with a bunch of other people and then communicating back and it's an experience that's there for a night and then it's gone yeah and i think you know i've, I've thought about this a lot lately too that the way we perform as musicians sometimes is can be largely dictated by what the audience is giving you, you know? And I think that, um, you know, it's good for people to think about, like, you know, if I go to see a show because I'm a musician myself, and I like to think I'm a pretty upbeat, outgoing person, but, you know, if I go to a show, I'm really listening because I care and I want to catch all the details. So I'm not going to be you know, usually singing along or, or like the loudest person in the room, like, ah, you know, after every song. Um, but I, that doesn't mean I don't love it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm still really focused on it. So trying to remember, there's lots of people who are just, they're really loving it, but they're just paying attention. They're really just trying to hear all the details because they 
are really, you know, uh, respectful and care about what it is you're into, but also know what it's like to be standing on the stage. And then sometimes if you don't get very much from an audience, you're kind of like, do they like me? I don't know. And then, you know, you can start kind of questioning a little bit when in reality, you know, you probably shouldn't. They're they're there because they want to be there. You know, odds are they wouldn't have bought a ticket if they, you know, didn't want to come see what you have to say and that's the entire i mean you know in every context of life you never really know what anybody else is thinking you can guess and you can hope totally can presume but you know. yeah um the other thing I'd, I'd love to chat to you about because the other thing you've started doing recently is teaching with artist works mm-hmm. um i'm an artist work student i oh, nice. do guitar with brian and i do um vocals with michael daves i've just started doing that as Sweet. a kind of way of trying to get me to sing a bit um and i wonder what you've so I've learned from doing that because that isn't it's a commitment doing artist works like responding to students and it's you know like Brian particularly who has a huge course it's it's not something you just turn up one day record 20 songs and then go away again it's totally. a, a constant ongoing conversation in a similar sort of vein to you know what we were just talking about really yeah it is it's been a big commitment and especially like you know Brian and I have toured together a lot with Bela so you know we've talked about this a lot and you know he's like yeah you're probably of all the the artist works people like the one that's actually on the road constantly you know because i think for a lot of people it's like a great thing to do when you're (laughs) when you're not touring all the time so for me it has been interesting kind of going okay let me find my quiet spot you know in the middle of a tour even like this or going where do i have good wi-fi or where can i find a quiet spot that i can film some videos but um it's been a good yeah, it's been a good way for me to learn to try to manage time on the road. And um, it's just an incredible resource, I think. Like if I, when I was first coming up learning to play, to have had something like this, um, you know, where you could have all these videos that you just kind of, you know, can can work through at your own speed. Um, but then having that sort of direct line student to teacher uh, uh, and also you know, for folks who, I don't know how familiar your listeners might be with artist works, but this idea of like these video exchanges that we do from the um, students can record a little video and send that in. And then like myself as the teacher, I see that, I respond to that. And then it gets posted to the website where all the subscribers get to see these videos. So it's constantly growing, you know, every week more videos get posted and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's such a, it's a cool resource. So for me, it's a nice community to get to be part of and see all these, you know, people who are stoked about the, the mainland, even on this tour over here, getting to meet um, some of my students. I know I've got a few coming tonight. It's like, it's always, it's a cool thing. So it's it's been a nice way to kind of connect with the mandolin community in a way that I hadn't really previously gotten to. Yeah, and like I, maybe I feel that kind of thing more strongly being over here and you know, a lot of the people that I talk to for the podcast or a lot of people I chat to online around bluegrass stuff are in the US. There's obviously a huge amount of people like bluegrass here as well, but it's more of a niche thing in the UK. And just sure. I, there's something about feeling connected to a community. Yeah, um, totally. That I think it's really like connect. I'd maybe, again, it's the context of the last couple of years, but connection has just become such an important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and as. As a musician, when you teach, you learn yourself, you know, there's something you learn from teaching. So for me, being able to, you know, kind of put this course together, um, it's about a year and a half old, something like that. And at some point, I'll add more to it, you know, add more videos and songs and things like that. And it can be something that can grow over time. And and that's, that's an exciting thing. And I'm sure, you know, um, six, six months from now, hopefully, I'll be a better teacher than I was, you know, before and that's kind of a cool thing to feel like I'm 
you know, being able to better take a look at my own playing and go, I don't know, what is it that I'm doing? You know, you have to kind of think about it a little bit, whereas I've always kind of been more of a instinctual musician and just, you know, learned through doing. But to really stop to break things down, you suddenly go, oh, yeah, that's why that's like that. And this is why I do this. And, you know, it starts to make a little bit more sense. And some of those conversations around why rather than what and how are some of the really interesting ones. And like, you know, sure. Brian obviously loves those kinds of conversations. I, you know, Brian Sutton's School and Artist Works is full of conversations about absolutely essentially about being a human being more totally. than the intricacies of playing music. They're just about bringing you with you when you don't just bring your guitar and you pick, like bring you. Absolutely. And that's maybe the hardest thing for a lot of people. It is the hardest thing and in some ways the most crucial thing, right, as, as musicians to be able to really get to a place where, you know, it, it's you can have, you know, all these rules or technical things that we think about all day long but at the end of the day we're just we're trying to make music and some of that you have to you know put in the time and then kind of build that into your playing and then kind of check it at the door and then you know let the music be what it is which is an interesting thing to kind of dive into yeah totally um i know you've got a gig to do pretty soon so (laughs) we should probably think about wrapping up but i just wonder what you've got coming up when you get back i know you've got a u.s tour planned which will take you through sort of the next couple of months. Yeah, so um, Justin and I, um, actually, so we, we fly home. We have a few shows in February and a little bit more in April, so we're doing a little bit more of that this year. Um, and then I'm doing a pretty lengthy tour with my band in March. We'll be out for, for a good bit. Um, and really my main goal over the next you know couple months is to get this album finished. So I've got a little bit more time at home in February, which is very rare and and something I'm excited about just being able to be home and get in that space a little bit more Um, lots of festivals coming up this summer and uh, probably quite a bit of touring in the fall if all goes according so great well thanks for being here thanks for taking the time to do this thanks for having me yeah so great to get to meet you in person Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.